whether it's long distance backpacking or a mega journey adventure for anything in life, like just kind of the same thing, like managing your expectations is always something I think is a good thing. Hey, I'm Caroline, and you're listening to In Her Nature, the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. This episode is brought to you by Body Glide. Erin, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, can you, like, in the least formal way possible, give us name, where your hometown is right now, and, like, what activity you resonate with? Yeah, um, my name's Erin Hartnett. Um, I'm currently living right outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in my hometown. So, um, Delafield, Wisconsin, which is where I think you're from, too, right? Um, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. activity-wise, um, I guess the past year, I just spent... Um, the majority of my year backpacking, um, doing a long distance backpacking trip, um, along the Pacific crest trail. But in terms of outdoor sports, I just, I love being outside. So I've been also really getting into trail running lately, um, which I've loved listening to your episodes on running, uh, which is great. Um, so yeah, we'll see. <laughs> amazing. I love a fellow trail runner. You are right by an amazing like trail running hub, like Lapham Peak over there is just amazing. So that's really exciting. Yeah, for sure. It's actually, um, there's several segments of like the Ice Age Trail, which I know you um, spent a lot of time on as well, that I live around. And that's how I actually originally found the Pacific Crest Trail as well. Like I remember looking up the Ice Age Trail. I was like, what even is this? Because I saw the, you know, when I was younger, I saw the emblems and the signs and I Googled it and I was like, oh, it's part of like, it's one of 12 other national scenic trails and that's when I stumbled upon the Pacific Cross Trail for the first time so kind of interesting how that all happens but <laughs> wait that's crazy that's so cool too to think that so if people aren't familiar with the Ice Age Trail Aaron did a good job kind of describing it we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit but it's a trail that goes through the state of Wisconsin and the topography is cool here we had a glacier come through part of it and there's a trail that outlines like where the glacier kind of stopped so the idea is the topography is very different than parts of the state. So like where I am right now and where Aaron is, it's really like kind of flat and I don't know, pretty mellow. And yeah. then where the Ice Age Trail kind of butts up to that part, it's really like hilly and there's askers everywhere and blah, blah, blah. So that's really cool. It's a really cool part of Wisconsin. I always like to hype it. But that is so interesting yeah. that you found the PCT. You've alluded to it already. Um so your background before you did the PCT, what did that look like for you? Um, it's interesting. So just for another background too, like I, with this conversation, I was on the Pacific Crest Trail for um, around six months. But like before that, and, and again, like I'm backpacking it, you're sleeping outside most nights. Before that, my only other backpacking trip was, I think a six day trip um, up in British Columbia. I went in high school. And it was also ironically the first time I'd ever slept in a tent, slept outside. So I went from like zero to 100 in terms of like, okay, the first time I'm even going to go camping, I'm going to go backpacking. And I did a six day backpacking trip. And then, you know, between then and now, avid car camper, you know, love hiking, love being outdoors, but never did another backpacking trip. And then um, when I decided to do the Pacific Crest Trail, it was again, another zero to 100 moment of <laughs> not really sleeping outdoors all that often and then doing it almost every night so that was pretty crazy <laughs> I love that I'm like a big zero to a hundred type of gal myself yeah. um and but I kind of love this because once you make up your mind you're all in you know it, it like sometimes I don't know about you but I it takes me a minute to make up my mind like I have to kind of go through the process of deciding what I'm going to do and I'll kind of keep people waiting. But once I give an answer, like I'm pretty in or I'm out, you know, it's like one or the other. So I really love that energy. Yeah. The zero to a hundred. I also think like, I mean, we can talk about, well, I'm sure we'll get into it more later, but there's an element toward, especially in, in long distance backpacking where it's just like, you have to jump and make a decision and just go all in um, or all out. It's not, there's not really, I mean, there are in between things you can do. You can do section hiking, you can do um, just like hiking or weekend backpacking trips or something but um there was like a sort of mentality that you need to have to be like okay I'm all in I'm doing this um and even like to show up in the first place and be like okay I'm willing to donate x amount of months of my life towards this activity um is kind of a, an extreme way to to 
kind of snowball into a sport, I suppose, but, (laughs) or an activity, I guess. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I love, I love what you just said before we get too far down the road. I like to kind of set up a little background for people who maybe aren't like familiar with what we're talking about. It's so easy just to like jump into it from a really high level. Can you tell us or explain to people like what the PCT is? Yeah. So the Pacific Crest Trail or the PCT is a um, trail that spans um, from Mexico to Canada over about 2,655 miles. So, um, or it could go from Canada to Mexico, depending on the way that you want to look at it. Um, So it goes all the way through uh, Southern California at the border. Um, It actually starts like right on the wall. The terminus is you can stick your hand through a wall and, and touch Mexico. Um, and then it goes through Canada or California, Oregon, um, Washington to end, um, on the Canadian border, um, up there as well. So it's a, it's a really cool trail. I think other background, I guess I'll give it, it's kind of talked about in five sections as well. Um, so there's the first section, um, if you're starting in the South portion, that's like the desert section. The second section is the Sierra Nevada. Um, and then the third section is Northern California. So the first 1700 miles of the trailer all were, are all within California. Um, and then you've got the Oregon section and then the Washington section. So there is something to be said about the type of hiking in each of the five sections. And a lot of people, it's such a long trail too, that it's easy to be like, Oh, when I was here in this section, or I tackled, you know, the first section in 2018 and I want to do the second section in 2019 or something it's a a way that people will break it up often um but then also one thing I wanted to allude back to is we talked about like the 12 national scenic trails so in the United States there are um you know Congress has designated certain trails to be like national ones and one of them is Ice Age Trail like we talked about in Wisconsin um and then the Pacific Crest Trail is one of the others um, and there's like three big ones too. So, um, or I would say three big ones that people talk about a lot. So the Pacific Crest Trail is one of the big ones. The Appalachian Trail is also probably the most popular one. Um, and then there's the Continental Divide uh, Trail as well, which goes um, from like New Mexico to uh, Montana. Same thing, Mexico to Canada. So just a little background about other large trails as well. We have talked a little bit about PCT and your experience on it. So this is a question sponsored by Bodyglide, our partners. So what fears or insecurities did you have when you were experiencing the PCT? I think like the biggest one, both in the fear bucket and like the insecurity bucket is just like initially starting and having like the imposter syndrome of like, should I really be here? I'd only previously been on one other backpacking packing trip before. I hadn't done a shakedown hike beforehand, which for everyone who doesn't know, a shakedown is like when you kind of test all your gear, um, stay a night or two out in the backcountry before you go on a long distance trail hike. Um, so I hadn't done one of those. Um, and I was kind of just like, you know what, this is going to be kind of all or nothing energy and going for it. So I, I did have, I was a little insecure. I'm like, do I have the right gear? Um, do I even deserve to be here? And it's just um, a little nerve wracking to begin in the first place. But I think that goes for anything. Like when you're starting a new sport or a new activity, just showing up in the first place is, um, the best thing you could do for yourself. And honestly, everyone around you is probably just as insecure and just as fearful. So, um, they're not really even thinking about you in the first place. So just kind of go for it. And, um, you know, it's a lot of trial and error too. Like you, you learn things and you grow and, um, that's kind of like the spirit of the sport as well. So, I think those are the big things, but I also kind of did want to touch on, like, as a woman being in the backcountry and showing up alone, there are more fears for myself, like, in the bucket of, like, okay, like, how do I keep myself safe? Like, how do I protect myself if there's ever a situation? So I think, like, big things I also did was I just kind of made a game plan. Like, I won't stay at camp um, alone unless I felt really comfortable, like, with my capabilities. So the first couple nights on trail... I chose to kind of camp with other people who I kind of got the vibe and energy from them and I trusted them. So that's one thing. And then um, I think a lot of people are fearful about like the elements and uh, bears or, you know, spiders or tarantulas or all those other things. Like, yes, those are a little bit scary. And the reality is like they are there. But um, I think at the end of the day, like people are probably the most scary in a way, like 
people are the most dangerous and like I interact with people every day of my life I interact with people in the city and so as long as I can trust myself in those situations to be taking care of myself when I'm around potentially dangerous people in those places you can do it on the trail as well so I love that and I think it's really smart because it's those traditional fears of like wildlife and the elements are so real Mm -hmm. and very unique to that experience being so remote. So maybe it gets a little amplified, but I am the same way. People scare me the most when I'm outside um, for better or for worse. And I think figuring out why I'm scared or why I feel that way is so hard because you're just in fight or flight, but it's kind of weird how, how normal that is. You see people all the time, but the fact that you're remote makes it a little bit more exposed almost. Totally. Um, and I think to that point too, like I made sure I had like resources with myself that like kind of would subdue those fears. So I always had like a, a beacon, a Garmin GPS with me. Um, so I could like click the SOS button if I needed to and get help. So that gave me peace of mind. It gave my family peace of mind. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's like an episode you could do. <laughs> safety yeah like (laughs) yeah we've it's funny you say that we've done it in like bits and pieces on every episode because I feel like most of the people we talk to are people that identify as women Mm -hmm. and because of that they have different challenges than like our male identifying counterparts and so because of that a lot of times when we talk about an activity it has like safety plays into it so it's like going on a road trip like we talked a lot about how changing a tire for us is very different than changing a tire for like my boyfriend or someone, my partner. And so we're probably equally bad at it, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think of a lot more than he does, you know? Totally, so totally. anywho, yeah, I love that though. And I think you're so right. It definitely could be an episode. So good idea. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> we haven't really talked to anyone yet who has done like through hiking. Actually, I don't even know if we've laid the foundation of regular kind of like everyday day like day hiking either but this is lovely because we're just like like our mentality we're going zero to 100 we're diving all in (laughs) and like if you to that point if you want me to go over like even basics of like different types of backpacking or hiking like I'm happy to go over that as well yes yeah yeah well okay this will be good because I really want your expertise obviously on like your experience but I'm so passionate about like making things approachable and like helpful so it might be really easy to listen to this and be like, I have no ability to do what Aaron did yet. So the more approachable side of it would be super helpful. You don't have to like go crazy in depth, but whatever you're willing to like help our listeners like understand that would be so helpful. For sure. Yeah. I mean, to that point too, like right off the bat, I just want to say like, for I, I really didn't have much experience backpacking. I did the one trip. Um, and like I said, I just decided I wanted to do the Pacific Crest Trail. And once I, um, got the green light in terms of having my permits and stuff, it was just like, okay, let's do this. And you've got to do your research and whatnot, but I just showed up (laughs) and I did it. So, um, it is, it is really accessible in the sense that if you want to do it, you will be able to do it. Um, and I met so many people on trail from different walks of life and stuff. I, I met a a man, um, his trail name was U-Haul, um, and he's 70 years old, had glaucoma. So one of his eyes, he was completely blind, and the other eye, he was 70% blind. I was like, you're hiking the same miles I am every day. He might be a tiny bit slower, but, like, he was doing the thing. And, like, you know, there's a lot of young people, a lot of people in their 20s and, and 30s, but anybody could show up and do it if they wanted to. So I think that's really cool and um, just wanted to make sure, like, anybody listening – had that idea as well so I see like at some point I really want to get into like the more technical side like if you were going to do this like what you have to do to have prepped because that's the thing I struggle with the most is like having logistics dealt with um but I want to jump back to basics because I do feel like like you said like you don't you didn't have a ton of experience you didn't like go section by section and then string it all together like you just kind of went for it so can you from a really high level like explain kind of just general hiking, backpacking, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess like to give like a silly definition of it, like backpacking is quite literally like you have a backpack with all of your belongings in it. You got your food, um, the ability to carry water, um, your sleep system, clothes, all those things, um, in a, in a backpack and you hike from one destination to another. Um, and so that could look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. 
for myself, I had the goal of obviously hiking from Mexico to Canada across um, the three states on the, the West Coast, but um, it could also look like just doing a weekend hike anywhere, and it could be a loop where you end up at the same point that you started or whatnot. Um, I think one way to look about long distance backpacking too is it's kind of just like smaller backpacking trips strung together. So a lot of people ask me like, oh, did you literally sleep outside every night while you were like on trail? And not at all. Um you know, every three to seven days, we would happen upon a road or a side trail where we would have to get off the actual Pacific Crest Trail itself and either go into a town to get new food or, you know, do laundry, shower, all those things. Um, so that's just something to note. I, it's it's kind of just like a bunch of repetitive, tiny backpacking trips after each other. Um, and then, you know, some other lingo, I guess, maybe I'll talk about is like, you know, there's things like zero days, which means that like you hiked zero miles along the trail. So, um, you know, some days you're like, you know what, I'm tired. I need a break. I need to rest up. And so you'll go into a town and just get a hotel or something and stay the day there, hang out, spend time, you know, in civilization, talking to people before you get back on trail and stuff like that. So it's not like, um, it's not like I was roughing it like into the wild, you know, I'm totally saying goodbye to, to, technology or <laughs> I don't know even grocery stores and whatnot you know I'm not foraging in the forest but um it's it is still intense in the sense that majority of my days I was sleeping in a tent um and along the trail in some regard so yeah thanks for the background I feel like that's very helpful and makes it seem a lot more approachable which is like the whole name of the game over here yeah. so really appreciate it um, one thing that I think is really interesting, and if you'd be able to touch a little bit upon this, is I bet some people are wondering, like, how do you bring enough food and water for where you or for like what you're doing? So can you explain kind of the strategy for through hikers and kind of what you did to combat all that? Yeah, so I'll start with um like water. Um so when you kind of start on trail, there's a lot of different ways to um, you know, a lot of different resources you can use to help yourself plan along the way um a lot on a long distance trail like I'm obviously when I started at, like down in southern California I'm not gonna know what I need to have prepared for Washington much less like two weeks you know down the line in California it's a lot of day-by-day -day planning but we have certain resources at our disposal to kind of navigate the unknown um and one of those is an application called far out so um there are a lot of really big trails on them. Um, but it's essentially like an app where it has like the actual trail itself mapped out and it can show your GPS location along that map or along that trail. Um, and there's little waypoints on far out that will signify certain information. So sometimes it was like when the next designated campsite was or how many miles ahead it will be, or, um, you know, in the case of what we're kind of talking about right now, it will designate where there's likely going to be water sources so because I was on a super popular, um, you know, trail, we were able to look at the information that would be like updated. People will comment on waypoints to say like, hey, water's flowing really well at this river source. You should be good to go here. Um, so we kind of knew when we would expect to have a water source, which is so advantageous because you don't want to be carrying too much weight if you don't have to. Um, and water, you know, for background to anybody is one of the most like that's going to be your most heavy um material that's going to be on your back essentially about a liter of water is gonna you know I think it's like two pounds or something so you want to keep it down if you can um so you know you fill up water um like on trail uh using like a water filter into a plastic water bottle I typically use like life water bottles those just liter plastic water bottles you can find at any gas station um, and I used my water filter just to, to purify it, um, before drinking. I personally used, um, like a Sawyer squeeze, uh, for anybody that's familiar with different materials you can use, but there's a lot of different mechanisms you can find online and different ways that backpackers will filter their water. Um, so that's water. Um, you fill up every day. You got to keep drinking water, I guess. <laughs> I think the rule of thumb too, like for, just for general knowledge of anybody in like 80 degree weather Fahrenheit around there, 
every four miles, um, you typically want to be drinking about a liter of water. And you kind of learn, especially while you're on. I know it's pretty crazy. <laughs> you learn and that your is body wild. Yeah. You learn what your body personally needs. It's very unique to everybody. Um, but I found that that was pretty true for myself. Um, so, and obviously you adjust that with like, if you have a fierce like elevation gain or if it's way hotter or colder or whatnot. So um, that's super important. Um, in terms of food, we would plan um, kind of like how many days is it going to take me to get from this, you know, road segment where I just got back on trail from the previous town to go to the next town. And again, we would use far out that application for us. Like um, it'll typically tell you like, oh, it highway 67 and 100 miles from here that's where you're going to get into the town Idlewild or something this is obviously not accurate information I'm just spitballing but um that's sort of how that would go and then you know the other thing about long distance backpacking is you you hitch a lot which is we could talk about it it's it's interesting especially as a girl I never caught a hitch in my life nor did I ever think I would, but on trail, it's sort of a necessity. Um, so once you would get to a road, you would often like stick your thumb out and a lot of kind people would come pick us up and drive us into town. And that's where you would kind of reload up on food at a grocery store. So again, when you're kind of at the grocery store, you're looking at your map again to say, oh, when am I going to get back in town? And you can estimate based upon how many miles a day you hike, how many days it's going to take you to get to the next place and how many days of food you would need. So um yeah let me know if I'm missing any big glaring holes but no no that sounded like airtight to me the only thing I'd known that people have done and maybe this is less common with like the PCT but some people I know will do like they'll send boxes ahead of time um and then they'll like pick them up I know like they'll do it all at once or something or like have a friend send them did you end up doing anything like that I personally didn't and I I thought I was going to I kind of had planned on it originally but I it ended up it's just a lot more planning um and I think what was made me hesitant to do it is because when you get into town you have so many chores to do like you have to get your food you have to shower you have to do your laundry you have to um just like prepare and like do all this planning for the next stretch and I found myself never really wanting to go to the post office as an additional step. So I didn't. It's super common, though. So true. It's super common on trail. It There's a lot of advantages to it. You can save a lot of money. Um, you can buy in bulk, obviously, at the grocery store. And then in a similar way, um, it could be healthier if you were the type of person to make dehydrated meals at home and you wanted to ship them to yourself, which is awesome. I think if I were to do... Or, not if, when, I think I will do another one. When I do another long distance backpacking trip, I'm for sure going to try to do a lot of homemade meals just to get as most, the most nutrient dense meal I can get out there. Cause when you're not making your own meals, you're probably eating like mac and craft mac and cheese and like ramen every day, which sucks. Yeah. I was about to say like ramen bombs with like yeah. pota- instant potato oh. and it just like over, See, that's fine. I feel like for like a week, like if you go on like a week long backpacking trip, you can kind of get away with whatever, but like months of that, my body would just freak out. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, I think I remember calling my dad like a couple weeks in and he's like, what are you eating? I'm like, I feel like I eat a sleeve of Oreos every day. And I like, don't even like, it doesn't even matter. And he's like, yeah, all you need, I feel like you just eat empty calories out there and it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Like you just need sugar, sugar, sugar all the time. But also there comes a point Literally. when it's like, mm, I need some vitamins and nutrients too. So <laughs> yeah, we, we can't have you out there like getting rickets. Yeah. That's funny. Erin, <laughs> um, what were some of the meals that you did end up going for? I know you kind of alluded to it, like crap mac and cheese and stuff, but like, what were some of the cool, like just from a foodie like brain, what were some of the things you saw out there that you were like, wow, that looks super good or stuff that you ended up eating? Um, one thing that I used to really love doing was I would get like chickpea pasta um, because it would just be like more protein um, in a meal as well. And obviously it, it's, it holds well for a couple of days in your backpack. So I would get chickpea pasta and then a lot of um, various grocery stores will have like some sort of like Indian sauce. So I would get like tikka masala sauce or like um, 
like, I don't know, a butter chicken sauce. And then I would just toss that into my chickpea pasta and it would be really good. It sounds kind of weird, but I loved it. Um, the other things I know that sounds so good. Yeah. I think a lot of people bring Parmesan cheese out, um, which is always good. Um, I, I don't know. I'm like kind of blanking on it. One thing I always had though was extra virgin olive oil and hemp seeds and like grass fed beef, um, sticks. And I would often like cut the beef sticks up and throw it in like a pasta dish or something. And it would rehydrate to sort of like a summer sausage, which was really good. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, I didn't really get too crazy. That's a good idea. Yeah. That- no, I think that's a good point though, because I, I have this tendency to like overcomplicate things mm-hmm. because I just always do. And everyone's like, Caroline, just chill. Like you don't need to go full foodie mode, especially when you do like long stuff. Yeah. Um, like one of my favorite things in the world is like make elaborate meals outside. But anyway, I feel like the rehydrating, um, like the grass fed beef sticks, super smart. I never thought about doing that. So that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to circle back to, not to use a corporate buzzword, but you said the word hitch. So for people who don't know what hitch is, it's like hitchhiking. Can you talk about your experience? Because I feel like that would really scare me. Like I would be super like, I don't know, wonky about that. Yeah, I think when I first started doing it, I was incredibly intimidated. Um, you just feel like an imposition. It's awkward. Um, and in also like you you're asking a lot of someone else to give you when you have very little to give in return is how it feels like so it was daunting at first but um yeah. i never hitched alone in the beginning um i would almost always be with like a group of like two or three other people um which made it a lot more approachable to me and then also um i think i almost always had a guy with me um i personally felt safer doing that. Um, but I know plenty of women along the trail that would hitch alone all the time. So kudos to them. It, it's a personal decision. Um, 100%. But I also feel like, you know, I have pretty strong gut intuition and you can tell when someone's like not a great person to catch a ride with. So, um, if you just trust your gut, it's pretty good. But yeah, like we would, um, we hitched all over the place and I think, I mean, the amount of amazing people I met through hitches is just crazy. One time we we had a get off trail because there was a dangerous portion. Um, it's called San Jacinto and um, it's part of, um, it's actually the highest point in the desert. And when I got there, um, there was so much snow and ice along it. And there's a really nice man up on the top of the mountain um, called San Jack John. And he kind of looks at the weather and stuff. And he was basically like, I wouldn't go on the trail today. It's it's pretty gnarly. So myself and my friends, we took like a side trail to do a little bit of a detour around the the scary part. And then we were going back to town to get a, a ride um, into this town called Idlewild. And we stuck our thumbs out. And the first car that passed us pulls over and he's like, his name's Jeff. And he's like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, um, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're hiking the PCT. We're trying to get into town, into Idlewild. And he goes okay, great. Like hop in, like I'll give you a ride to town. So we're driving with him. And as we're driving with him, he's like, do you have a place to stay tonight? And we were like, no, not yet. We haven't figured it out. He ended up offering an empty house of his to like myself and like, uh, I think it was three of my, four of my other friends. And he was like, I got to go run some errands, but I'll pick you guys up after dinner. Um, and I'll take you over. He like gave us like two different rooms to sleep in with different like nice beds, warm sheets, clean towels. Like we took showers. He got us breakfast for the morning. And that was like the first time I was like, oh my gosh, this is how this trail is going to feel like. Um, And things like that happen over and over and over again. Um, Like the amount of like remarkable kindness I experienced was just beyond this world and beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And it I really does kind of come down to hitching in a weird way. Like there are a lot of people you would have never met um, unless you kind of asked for a ride and kind of going back to that uncomfortability of asking for something, knowing that you wouldn't be able to return something. I tried to offer so many people money for like gas and like giving us rides. And uh, most people were almost offended that you would even offer. Um, I found that most people just wanted to give you something without anything in return. And that like 
you could tell it made a difference in their life, but the difference that it made in my life was just like unfathomable. So it's really, really cool. Um, I know that was kind of a divergence from the original question, but <laughs> no, no, that's like what that that's this is what it's all yeah. about. You know what I mean? Is like that stuff that is so cool that like yeah, to think you really name that vulnerability really well. Like you really have nothing to give, and people know that, and that is a scary position to be in sometimes. But if you do kind of trust that gut feeling to yourself up as best as you can for safety stuff, like put the cards in your favor. That's so cool. We have a lot of guests that like my friend Gabby, she did our bike packing episode, had a similar story. She was doing like a solo bike packing trip and had like a really similar situation. She had a hitchhike and or like, I don't know, but just craziness that like you would never expect in that situation. And then all of a sudden you're just really taking care of it. It's so freaking cool. Yeah, I could go on for I could do a whole other podcast of different stories of that I have from just the trail and just those sort of things alone. But yeah, I think you kind of sur- surmised it really well too. like, once you put yourself in an uncomfortable position, and, and as long as you're kind of trusting your intuition, your gut that you're safe, and you're taking care of like, if you surrender to that, the amount of wonderful things that opens up in your life is really, really cool. So. Yeah. And I feel like you can really take that beyond the trail. Like I really struggle with experiences similar to yours. I've never through hiked anything, but I've had big, you know, like kind of standalone experiences that almost feel like I'll never kind of reach that level again. You know, you have that experience. It's so important to you. Um, but I just, sometimes I have a hard time pulling things out that I can take day to day, you know, cause it was so special, but that's one of them that you really can take day to day. Like make sure your safety is all good. That's the baseline. But like, yeah, that people are good and yeah. want to help, you know, that's really cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. People are good. That's, that's one thing so I definitely cool. like feel in my core coming back from it. So yeah. Yeah. And I want to get into like different things you learn from being out there, but I feel like we're still in logistics phase. So I want to hear like that logistics brain, um, in terms of gear that you had on trail, I know there's probably so much stuff you brought, but like what were key pieces of gear? What were things that you ended up not needing that you thought you maybe would? Um, that's a good question. It And it varies from person to person. I, I would say like every backpacker needs like basic things. So there's obviously like your, your pack that you're carrying everything in. Um, I had a larger pack at a 64. Five liter pack I think which is on the on the larger side for people who are probably doing hard more hardcore longer term backpacking um I would say most people had anywhere from 50 to 60 and then there's some crazy people who have like a 30 liter pack which for reference anyone that's pretty small to carry your whole life in um that's like your school backpack, yeah. right? Yeah. School backpack size is 30. I think my like grad school yeah. backpack is 30 liters. Yeah, I don't know. Um, And I know, I mean, other people I hiked with too had like 80 liter too. It's just very much depends on your style and what you have. Um, The other thing I'll say is like generally mm-hmm. you want your gear to be as light as possible because that's going to allow you to obviously save more energy in ex- to be able to expend it in other ways by hiking more miles and stuff so it's just like a smart thing and um I will say like the lighter your gear is the more expensive it's probably going to be as well so there's kind of a, a give and a take of course when you're looking at what you got but um you got your backpack um and then there's like your sleep system so for myself my sleep system included um a full a blow up sleeping pad I use like a Nemo insulated one um and then your sleeping bag or your sleeping quilt. Um, I used a bag because I run pretty cold, so I wanted to be as warm as possible. Um, and then, you know, your shelter. I had um, a couple different tents that I used on the trail. I started with a um, Gossamer Gear, the one, which is a single wall tent. Um, and then I ended up with a Copper Spur Big Agnes um, tent, which is like, you know, freestanding so for reference um for anybody else like there's different kinds of tents you can get a single wall is like a pretty it's what you think it literally has one wall um and you typically you know put them up using your trekking pole so it's super light um and beneficial in that way but the reason why I didn't like it as much is because there's a lot of condensation that comes in the middle of your tent so I just didn't want to get wet when I was sleeping um and then there's a freestanding tent. So that's what I think most people would think of when they think of a tent. You've got your poles and you've got like this inner shell where there's um, like mesh and your doors. 
um, so you can kind of see out and then you can put like a fly on top of it and that would protect you from getting wet if it were raining or something. Um, and it's called freestanding because you don't have to like, because you have those poles that are holding it up, um, you could just leave it there and it would stand on its own. You don't need like trekking poles or anything else to help it stand up. So, um, that's a tent. That's, those are kind of like your big items, your backpack, your tent, your sleeping bag. Those are like the big three that think people think about. Um, and then from there, there's various different types of gear. So like I need a spoon um, to eat my food. I had a stove um, for myself because I like to cook every night um, and like a, a, a pot to cook in and a gas canister and things. But I had other friends that would do things called cold soaking, which means you get a container that can kind of screw itself and you you could put your ramen in it and pour water in it and then have it soak all day long um, and rehydrate while you're hiking and then eat it later. You wouldn't actually have to cook. Um, so there's differences in that. Um, I also had uh, a GPS. Um, so I used um, a Garmin, what is it, like the Mini 2 or something, I think it's called? Uh, An in-reach. inReach. Yeah, yeah. inReach. Garmin yeah. inReach. Um, yep, yep. I loved it. So the one I had, um, it's smaller, it was lighter, um, but it has like an SOS button on it. So if I ever got into an emergency, I could call for um, search and rescue or some sort of help um, to come get me most likely. Um, and then there are other features that it has this too. Like you could track your um, your hike and stuff. You can send text messages and stuff like that. So I did that so um, my family could have peace of mind also as well. I sent a message to my parents like every other night. So um, that's other gear. I'm trying to think of other big things I'm probably missing. Obviously, you're hiking clothes and your shoes. So in terms of apparel, I had your most important gear is obviously like your, your shoes and your socks. Um, I used like Darn Tufts. They're like a wool acrylic mix. Um, and it's a really great company for anybody who's doing hiking and or trail running or anything. If you didn't know about Darn Tufts and their like warranty, like definitely look it up. Essentially, if you get a hole in your Darn Tufts socks, they'll replace them for free. So um, I replace socks all the time on trail um, and Darn Tufts like was really great about that. Um, so just a quick plug. A really good note like I blow yeah. through socks too I lose them more but like yeah. I which is kind of a bummer because I won't replace that but I have heard that that they are really good about like getting the product to you yeah yeah so good um and then yeah like I wore I changed clothes a little bit here and there but you know you got you need layers um like a fleece a secondary layer um you want like moisture wicking clothes obviously so no no cotton um cotton's a big no-no um wool is great um and then uh I had a puffy too which I for myself was like critical I had other friends that wouldn't have as warm of layers but I just know I run cold so for myself I would carry a lot more um there are other small things too they call them like your luxury items on trail there's things that you probably want but not everybody's gonna have for myself I had a, a little small pillow um a lot of my friends just use like a a balled up coat or something for a pillow at night. Um, I also had probably more like extra clothes on trail than I, my peers did. Some friends of mine would wear the same shirt and shorts every single day, no matter what. I had a couple options just because I preferred it um, to feel a little cleaner some days. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think those are like the big things. Go ahead. Rain gear. How mm -hmm. did you manage how did you manage like rain gear, like rain jacket? I don't know what system did you have for that? Cause everyone's a little like different on that. That one is such a, it is true that it varies so much from person to person. Um, for myself, I had a rain jacket. Um, it was, I think I have, a, it's like a Patagonia jacket. I've had it for years. Um, and then I had rain pants and I honestly didn't wear the rain pants for rain as much as I did for when we were hiking in snow and I wanted another layer to keep myself cold or warmer sorry um but that's what I used um and then people will have pack covers if you want to keep uh um your pack itself kind of dry on the outside I actually didn't have a pack cover um that's probably something I would have gotten if I did it again but what I did have was on the inside of my pack, I had a garbage bag liner that prevented quite literally everything in the garbage bag from getting um, wet. So 
none of my stuff in my pack ever got wet when it rained, um, but my pack itself got wet and I just wish I would have like prevented that. I think it keeps your gear lasting longer. Um, but kind of to that point, other people had umbrellas, um, people had ponchos, people had um, all sorts of things. And to the point of umbrellas, that is a luxury item, of course. But I think most people who used it um, actually used it when it was really hot to protect from the sun more than for when they had rain. And I think they were really helpful for anybody who was like kind of heat, like irritability prone. So um, that's something that's out there. And there's some pretty good like ultra light options for those too. So yeah. I, that's so smart i'm pretty heat prone and that is really i kind of chuckled because i was like wow i don't even bring an umbrella like in real life i just like zip my coat up as far as it goes but that is so smart yeah it's uh i think it's been huge for a lot of people and i think there's something i heard some statistic that it could keep you like 10 degrees cooler under the umbrella depending on like where you are which is that's Whoa. significant so um yeah that's cool yeah. and also i will say there is really interesting thing about the particular year that I hiked. So the PCT, I think on average, you'll, if you're hiking the whole thing, you're going to see like five days of rain. Um, and for reference, my friend who, um, or, uh, I met a mantra, he hiked it, um, in 2019 and he said he had two days of rain, I think maybe two, two days and maybe a couple nights where he was already in his tent we had like upwards of like 25 this year. Like it was crazy how much rain we had. Um, and that's mostly attributed to the high snow year, I think. But um, we could talk about that later too for a unique thing that I went through. But let's just get into it. Cause I feel like that's really interesting how you might hear an experience from someone else. Like, Oh, I did it two years ago and it was all good. You don't have to worry about rain gear. Like I barely use mine. <laughs> and then you have a year like yours where it's like, it was critical. Like I had so much re like wet rainy. Um, so it's important to do your own research, but also like think realistically about what, like, how, like it was a huge snow year last year. So that makes sense kind yeah. of, but what were other things that you, that were, I don't know, unique to your experience on the PCT? I know that's a huge question, but... Yeah, I think, like, the biggest thing was um, for everyone, like, who hiked um, the PCT in 2023 was that it was, like, a record snow year in the state of California. Um, so, I mean, I, I hit snow on day three, like, not for an extended period of time, but practically unheard of um, when I started at the end of March for there to be snow where we were seeing it at, like, mile like 30, 40, 50 and stuff. So, um, that was pretty intense. Um, and to that point that the, the snow was mostly concentrated in terms of, on the trail in the Sierra section. So that second section that I kind of talked about. And so for a lot of people, it was just not something they wanted to hike in. Um, there's a lot of difficulties that you encounter when you talk about snow hiking. Um, and one of them is that, especially when you're in the mountains, you're, you're doing mountaineering now. Like, you're not just hiking a trail. Like, there's other risks that you have to kind of take into account. Um, and so um, I think that was, it could be scary for some people. It was excruciatingly slow. You start moving from hiking 25 miles a day to maybe doing 10 if you're lucky. Um, and there's this kind of phenomenon called pulse tolling. So Basically, you know, throughout the day, as the sun is shining on the snow, it's warming it up and it starts to get soft. And so if you're hiking in it, you'll sink down into it. It's called a post hole. Um, and it's so annoying. Like post holing is so frustrating. So a lot of people in our year just skipped the Sierra um, either altogether or they decided hiking the PCT wasn't for them this year and they went home. Um, for my group, I was hiking with a, I met a bunch of people on trail. We hiked some of the Sierra, about like 100 miles um, in the early season in the snow. And so it was like a couple straight weeks of just all snow, never seeing the trail. Um, you're, you start navigating with your GPS um, rather than just like seeing where the path takes you, which is a, a change up. Um, and it was it was really it was a really remarkably it was a cool experience. I wouldn't have traded it for the world, but it also was just like really draining. Um, so we ended up skipping up to Northern California and then I came back and finished the miles later in the year. So 
I guess this is the, another thing I'll say, like, unique to our year is there was people did um, a lot of skipping around on the trail, um, which is not ideal. Anybody who wants to go on a through hike wants to have a continuous footpath, I would say, more or less. Like, you want to start at point A and you want to get to B. And point A is Canada or Mexico, and point B is Canada or Mexico, like one or the other, like depending on which way you're hiking. Um, for us, it was like, okay, like yeah. I'll go up to mile 700 and then I'll skip up to mile like 1800, then I'll hike south to mile 1500. And then like it was just a hodgepodge and a puzzle. But um, I also, it was really fun and I learned a lot in a lot of different ways that you never would have expected, um, just because you have to roll with the punches kind of. Um, but yeah, that's that's a yeah. very unique thing yeah. to high snow year um, PCT hikers, I would say. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you alluded to this already, like rolling with the punches. Mm-hmm. That would really stress me out first. The snow, like whenever things get a little borderline safety wise and you have to make a decision, that's like peak stress level for me outside. Like, yeah. and I know people make decisions like that all the time. So whatever, but <laughs> good for you for like kind of drawing your line and being like, I don't need to do this the way everyone else does. Like I don't need to go A to B. If I come back, it will be okay. Still going to be yeah. there. So I give you a lot of credit. Cause that's not like an easy decision to make. Like when you're in the moment, yeah. um, Um, We talked about rolling with the punches. I feel like that's basically what through hiking is. (laughs) But what were like other things that you look back and were like, wow, I really had to like grow from that? Like what were things that you really like grew you as a person, I guess? And I know that's a giant question and hard to answer, but. Yeah, I think, I don't know how, one of the best ways I think I could explain it is like, I think a lot of people like, the, I think the allure of, like, a through hike often is, like, this, like, the ability and the chance to embark on this grand adventure. And I think some people think, you know, you're going to go under, the, undergo this, like, amazing um, and explicit transformation of the self and that you're going to have, like, your own personal odyssey of sorts. And that's, like, really romantic and somewhat true. And I'm kind of a romantic person, so... I'm not bashing anyone like that is that is me that is why I showed up like I was like you know what I'm gonna have my own little odyssey moment and (laughs) a little the wild you know I don't know if anybody um has seen that movie I didn't see it until after trail by the way yes I didn't I didn't know I didn't watch it didn't read it um but anyway that's a whole nother thing um but I think there's like like the trail is like in a lot of ways not that different from real life and you don't just show up there and you change and you're new like, I would say almost, like, all of the issues that you would have at home and in, in, like, real life, basically, off trail are the same on trail, but they're almost <laughs> louder and, like, more obvious and explicit in in the sense that, like, like, I don't know, you have the same issues that you have with, like, friends. Like, I have friends on trail and I would we would get in fights or have disagreements and I would be frustrated with, like, people on trail, people I was hiking with. And, like, that's the same thing that I have in my own personal life. Like, you're frustrated at your boss or you're upset with your parents and your or your sibling isn't being kind or you're, like, your your friend hasn't called you back or something. Like, the same things you're going to experience on the trail. So the reason that it just is more difficult in a sense is because you're, like, on the brink of exhaustion and you're also hungry probably. So um, it becomes a lot more primal. <laughs> but I, I, I – there's, like, things that I just learned how to, like – move through I think in a different way I think I learned a lot about myself like emotionally like how to regulate my own like self um I think I learned how to rely on myself and trust myself to a whole different degree and that was something that I really wanted out of the trip um because you're doing really hard things um all the time and like sometimes a hard thing was quite literally just like walking the next mile. Like you're, it's so tiring and um, you're pushing yourself physically all the time. And then, um, you know, just doing normal things like feeding yourself and I don't know, figure out logistics, just sometimes it becomes harder. So just like trusting myself that I was going to be able to get through it was a massive takeaway that I had from the whole experience. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that's something that happened for me. And I also want to say too, like, I think you kind of alluded to this. 
this was such a long experience and I kind of liken it to like a study abroad experience for people like it's six months or around six months five to six months you're essentially in a foreign place in the sense that like I'm in the middle of the wilderness something that I never really immerse myself in um in a cultural sense I'm around strangers all the time but like we we kind of took a little bit of a pause but off the recording we were talking a little bit about um how a lot of people think that they're going to hike this thing or do this massive endeavor and have their life change. And we were kind of talking about how like, it's not the case. Like you got to get this in your brain that like your life is still there when you come back, if not even harder because you've been away for it for a while. So like, what's your experience with that and coming back into society off the trail? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think like, um, I mean, I've, I've had people on trail who like kind of, reiterating some of the things we were talking about like they just thought like problems that they were having with themselves were just going to be remarkably fixed when they would come back home and it's just like not even the case and like for myself um I have been at like a crossroads of what I'm going to do next in my career and so I ended up leaving my job right before trail and I was like you know what I want some time to think about what I want to do next and while it was true that I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do next it's not like I'm trying new things or new jobs on the trail it's not like I'm doing research or applying to jobs while I'm on trail you're not really engaging in that trial and error that's gonna you're gonna need to have to take next steps in your life so if I ever had the expectations of like me coming home and being like oh I have my next dream job like that was just never gonna happen and I think yeah. I think it's gonna be like that but um yeah, I mean, for myself, I knew I was going to have to come back home and, like, you know, really dedicate my time and energy towards, like, figuring out what I was going to do next. And um, I, I, I think there, you know, a lot of people do struggle with, like, the the coming home of sorts and, like, you know, blending back in with society. And, like, um, for myself, there were certain things that were really difficult, but, like, I knew that I just wanted to show up in my life in the same way that I showed up on trail in terms of like, you know, today I have a goal for myself. I want to commit myself to doing it. Um, and then kind of just treat it similarly in a way, but, um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I remember my brother did a lot of backpacking like before undergrad, he did like a three month thing in Alaska. And I remember I picked him up from his like reentry and, he was so like, what is going on? Like, I just remember him taking like a long time to get kind of like re back integrated with everything and how hard that can be. It's kind of like post-race blues. Like some people will say after you run like a marathon or like do something big, like I know for myself, after I did one of my big races, I was in the weirdest funk for like six weeks. It was really odd. And I'm kind of getting out of it now, but um, I don't want to get off tangent, but I think what you're or off point but I think what you're trying to say is like or what I'm hearing is like your problems are still there you still need to take steps to figure it out you can't like run and hide Mm -hmm. from all of it and I love that you're like very open and realistic about that because that's like I it's not always said you know what I mean yeah and I think it actually I mean one piece I think it would have one piece of advice I would have for people who want to do long distance backpacking um, that kind of ties in with this idea is to um, manage their like expectations so like for myself I never watched the movie wild I never read the wild book and I think those are a lot of reasons why people have heard of the pacific crest trail in the first place and so they want to go do it and there's nothing wrong with that at all either um but other people like have watched like youtubers and their whole like vlog series about the trail like I didn't have any of that and any pre-existing notions of like what the trail was supposed to look like what were supposed to be the most beautiful spots on trail like how my experience within a group of hiking people that I mean on trail is supposed to look like and I very much treated it as like a go with like the flow like whatever happens to me is you know supposed to happen for me and like you know if something doesn't happen then it wasn't meant to be kind of mentality and like that served me so well that um, in the sense that I just was able to be more present and grateful for what I did see. And um, I know other people struggled on trail sometimes because they had expectations of how it was supposed to feel, what it was supposed to be like, um, you know, the difficulty or the, you know, ease of it and all these things. And I just kind of like let it go and um, had experiences it. So I think as long as you you know, manage your expectations. I think having expectations for how you show up is a completely different thing. Like 
I knew I wanted to be grateful. I wanted to be present. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to push myself. Those were expectations I had for myself. Um, but I never had expectations of like, you know, the trail is supposed to offer me this. Like that was just not how I treated it. So that's one piece of advice I would have for a lot of people who want to, to, whoa, or a mega journey adventure for anything in life. Like just kind of the same thing. Like managing your expectations is always something I think is a good thing. Like any goal, any goal you want to do, or how about this? Like any even day-to-day thing, like how you treat people. I am like, whoa, that really hit me today. I needed to hear that bad because (laughs) my week has been so weird. And like that exact thing of like, I thought this was going to be super different than what I'm doing right now. And like, I love it big picture. Like you said, my expectation with myself, I show up, I try my best. I like treat people kindly and we work hard. That's all we can do. You can't like your expectation and your reality need to kind of be figured out. And yeah, whoa, I needed to hear that really bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. I wish you could just talk about this forever. You're like, despite the fact that you said you didn't go on an odyssey, I feel like you feel like my philosopher right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been, I've had a lot of time to be introspective lately so it may it might just be the little mode that I have on the hat I have on I'm not normal no no (laughs) the muscle that the introspective muscle you're flexing is really strong right now yeah (laughs) um any other advice you have for people who want to do something similar to what you did I and I think this is another thing too I would say like the one commonality between myself and everyone else who did the trail um, in any regard, whether it was the entirety of it, like myself or, um, you know, a section of it or 700 miles or whatever it was, um, which are any bit of it is a proud accomplishment. The one commonality between all of us was that we actually showed up. And I, I, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about that part of it is that like actually choosing to be there was probably the most difficult part for me specifically and therefore I feel like a lot of people um I I was working a full-time job it was a job that I knew I didn't want to stay in um and so you know what I made the decision I was like this job isn't for me right now I want to go on a trip like a backpacking trip now's the time and so I made the decision to leave my job and to um go backpacking and everybody else there did a similar thing whether they left their job or took a leave of absence or they waited until their, you know, some people wait until their kids got out of college or something like that. Like every single person there showed up. And I think like taking the first step is almost always the hardest part. Um, and it's a snowball effect from there. Like once you're there, it like becomes so much easier. Um, I knew when I got there that there was a possibility that I wouldn't like backpacking, like to that extent. Like I knew I liked it, you know, for the six day trips, maybe a 10 day trip. I was like, am I going to like it for <laughs> several months and so I forever gave myself the freedom to not want you know to come back home if I didn't like it after a month I said I would stay there for a month minimum and if I didn't like it I wasn't gonna force myself to be there but um I ended up loving it and if I wouldn't have showed up in the first place it never would happen um and that goes for anything in your life like any sport you want to get into like just show up um, and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and weird a little bit, but like, I don't know, no one's really thinking about you. They're probably thinking about themselves anyway. So <laughs> like, just show okay. If we could put, if we could put just show up on like anything and sell it, I'd be so into it because yeah. when I did my big thing this year was to do a half Ironman and that felt so out of my, con- like so out of the scope of what I was able to do this year. But my number one goal, like people ask me like, what's your goal? I'm like to show up. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally. It's not even to finish. Like I don't even care if I get to the starting line and like cross the starting line, my day is already good to go. Yeah. And if you looked at like the pictures of me racing, I had the biggest freaking smile on my face. It was so <laughs> insane, so ridiculous. And everyone was like, you look so happy. I was like, I was probably in a lot of pain, but I was proud of myself because I showed yeah. up. And like, like you said, also saying, if I don't like this, it's fine. Like not tying self-worth to completing a goal. Oh my gosh. Like I wish I could just wake up and have someone tell me that every single day because that's a problem I have is like, I'm a better human because I did this, this, and this. It's like, no, that's not how any of this works. Like you're a better human because you treat people well and you treat yourself well. 
Yeah, and I think, like, breaking it down to into, like, your why of, like, why you're choosing to have a particular goal. For, like, myself, I had, um, and I'm sure this was, like, similar for you, like, with an Ironman. Like, I had a list in my, my notes app in my phone of reasons why I originally wanted to go on the trail in the first place. And they were things, like, I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to um, kind of cultivate, like, a trust in myself that was just so rock yep. solid and I wanted to hone in on my intuition and my gut feelings. And I wanted to learn how to be alone and show up alone. Like I, I showed up to the trail by myself. That yep. was really for my, me personally was really scary. Um, and so I just, those were all things I wrote down and there were days on trail that were so hard. Um, and I'd be like, why am I here? I'm going to go home. And actually this is another piece of advice. And I think this is a pretty common phrase thrown around in the trail um through hiking universe is like never quit on a bad day and I think that's true for anything like don't quit your job on a bad day at work like don't like quit your race training on a bad day don't like you know don't write off like you know I'm never gonna cook again because I hated this one time I was cooking with you know whatever um something like that like I just think don't quit on a bad day is such a powerful thing because I think we are emotional creatures and it can get the best of us but um when I was having our time I would look at my reasons of why I wanted to be there and it always made me feel better and more resolute about what I was you know embarking on in the first place so um that's another piece of advice I would give to people and yeah I needed to hear that so bad (laughs) You're like, that was crazy. Dental school. I've got to keep going. (laughs) Not that it's dental school related or anything, friends, but maybe. Maybe. (laughs) No, I love that. Never quit on a bad day. Like, that's so, so true. With every, like, that's such a universal truth you can use in your whole life. Like, I, that's crazy. And you got into this other thing that I, this was going to be my last question, basically. It was like, why the PCT? Why now? Why did Aaron, you decide to go do this? And you kind of got into it a little bit, but like, I think that's so fascinating. Like why you wanted to do something and then you did it. And I think I'm very visual. I'm an extremely visual spatial person. And like, I loved the ability for me to look back on my goal and be like, I physically moved through these places. And that's similar to you. I really love that. But why did you decide to do the PCT and why did you decide to do it now? Yeah, I think like I I did kind of allude to it already. But like, again, like I was at this crossroads with like my career and I was like, when other time in my life am I going to be able to donate essentially six months towards something like this? Um, And I don't want to mislead anybody. You can do, if you want to, you can do it. Like, trust me, everybody's got obligations. People have mortgages, people have kids, people have jobs. Like if you want to show up and do a trail, you can. Um, But I knew it was a lot easier for myself because I didn't have a lot of other responsibilities. And I knew I had the ability to leave my job and feel financially stable. So um, it just offered a, a really unique opportunity for myself that I knew I couldn't pass up. And one thing I will say too, it was about a year ago that I think I decided I wanted to do it. I was like, you know what? I, I re- remembered it again. I can't remember how, um, cause I hadn't thought about the trail for like years. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, the PCT and to a little bit of background too, to hike the PCT, there's a permit that you don't necessarily need, but makes it extremely much easier to, to actually hike it and um there it's a little bit competitive to actually get the long distance permits and so I told myself you know what if I get a permit come January there was another lottery system to get them if I get it then it's meant to be if I don't get one then it's probably not meant to be and I'll figure out something else um I'll find a new job or whatever and I got a permit and I was like okay it's meant to be like my hands are tied I'm going like so it was kind of like that for myself um and then you know in a more romantic spiritual sense like the why, the why I wanted to do something grand and, and large like that is um, some of the other reasons I touched on, but some other ones that I haven't as much yet. Like I wanted to just have experiences in my life. Like I want to have a story for myself. I want to have a narrative. Like um, one thing I really want, I want to be a mom when I'm older too. Um, I would like to have kids one day and I would love to be able to share with my kids. Like, yeah, I went on this really cool adventure and like you can too, if you want to in your life. Um, there's just something special about that as well. And um yeah I 
I just wanted to prove to myself I could do hard things also. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of small reasons, but all of them, I think, kind of add up to me just being one, wanting to grow in, in a concentrated way, I guess. Like, in with a yeah. whole, like bubble, I was like, let's, like, put, go all in. Like, let's just, like... Zero to 100. Yeah. yeah. Like, exactly. I just wanted to kind of put the put the pedal to the metal a little bit because I was gonna say like you can do all those things but in different ways like people try to do it in a lot of different ways so it's like through hiking the PCT that is really that was kind of the answer to like I was I wanted to know like why the PCT you know what I mean and you basically just said it in the simplest way possible like I wanted all that zero to a hundred and that's super cool and I think you can do it in a lot of different ways like if you don't necessarily resonate with through hiking for six months on a trail there are other ways to do it in a concentrated way or in a long drawn out way but I just I think that is so cool wow yeah Erin did we miss anything that you wanted to get to um I don't I don't really think so I think I think I'm feeling good yeah like like I said like backpacking in general like you can do it in a lot of different ways too you don't have to do it like through hiking 2,650 miles um, by any means it could be 10 miles on the weekend um there's trails all over the place too um and dispersed camping like all over the the country and I think you probably have resources you could share with people like in the links or yeah but um yeah I think large takeaways is that like something as big as like long distance backpacking is just more like a symbol for like you can you can really do anything and it goes along with the theme of your podcast in the first place like being a beginner is scary, but like you can figure it out and like, um, you're not alone. And yeah, I don't know. I think we kind of hit everything though. Oh man. You just had so many things that I'm like that one, that one, that one. I love them all. <laughs> um, Aaron, thank you so much for your expertise. And we really appreciate just like having someone with your perspective talk about a big thing like this. So we really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. So cool. Yeah, thanks. of course. You can find us over at In Her Nature Pod on Instagram and TikTok. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, rate, and review us where you listen. We are currently looking for podcast sponsors and advertising partners that align well with our brand, so reach out if you'd like to work with us. Music today by Tommy Z with The Porch Flowers, and our logo is done by the amazing Riley Johnson at rej.creative. Don't forget, the stuff is in your nature.